We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 79. Our guest today is the owner of Wellsy Equestrian, which is the leader in personalized luxury equestrian equipment. They were handcrafted in the U.S. and they have the cutest brushes. You have to check them out. So how she kind of got this whole idea and got started and made this thriving business, we will find out. Let's hear it from our guest, Carolyn Lavin. I would love to hear about Wellesley Equestrian. Being a small business in the space myself, I can relate to a lot of things you're going through, but you have quite the production. So I'd love to hear the road you took to get to where you are today with Wellesley Equestrian. Sure. So I have been very lucky to have been riding since I was quite young. I grew up riding in New England, started off at the very small local shows and then mm-hmm. um, working my way up. I ride with Emerson Bird, the Fairfield County Hunt Club, who's still near and dear to my heart, you know, working up to working with Linda Langmire and her crew at Ethel Walker in my junior years. I sort of was really busy riding as a junior. And when I got to college, you know, I said to myself, you know, I think I'd love to try the business track because I see so many business professionals who own these beautiful animals. And I think I would love to kind of follow my my father's footsteps who, you know, went to business school and I really wanted to, you know, emulate him and Mm -hmm. find my, find my way in the equestrian world from the business side, because it's something that I had such a passion for and really going to shows. And I was sort of, you know, was one of those juniors that I loved it so much, but I burned out easier than I thought I might being on the road 24 seven. And I thought, you know, of course the dream was to be a professional, but you know, at that time I, you know, knew that I knew myself well enough to know that that wasn't going to be a path for me. Mm-hmm. And so finding a way to stay connected in the equestrian world. So I went off to business school and actually my horses were sold, which made sense, right? Cause I wasn't riding anymore. And after I had graduated they started live streaming all of the finals. It was about 2012, 2013. And one thing that I loved so much about riding was just the horse. I just loved, I loved my horses. You know, competing was always fun and my friendships were so important to me, but I just felt so passionately about taking care of my animals. And one of the horses that ended up being sold he was kind of, you know, you call him like your, your favorite horse or, you know, your heart horse. And Mm -hmm. I had just wondered where he went and we had sold him in Florida right before my last junior year. And I just thought, you know, I haven't ridden in six years. I miss the animals so much. I wonder where he went. And, you know, taking that time away from riding, I just, I sort of set out on this mission and I really wanted to go out and just find my horse. And I Mm -hmm. think that there's so many people these days who, you know, are amateurs now and have gone back and thought, you know, where's that heart horse? And it took me, it took me quite some time to find the horse that I'd sold in Florida because, you know, back then, you know, not so long ago, but we didn't have really electronic records or social media and kids weren't, you didn't really know where your horse went. So, you know, I kind of went into USCF. Oh, it was such, it was such a process. Of course, um, in college I had met my now husband, we dated all four years and, you know, 
we were engaged and I told him I was going to go find my horse and he had no idea what was going on. He's like, sure, <laughs> I can go find him. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every night I'm up on the computer and he's like, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. Like, okay, I'm still searching by <laughs> go wow. to sleep. And he, I started on USDF and on his record, cause I obviously had his USDF number memorized. It's one of those weird things that horse girls have just memorizing our horses, USDF numbers. Yep. And you know, I just started realizing that, you know, he had gone and competed, you know, up in the Northeast region where I'm from, we were originally were showing up here. And then he sort of dropped off the map in 2009, 2010. And I got worried. So I just decided why not be bold and maybe a little bit desperate and just start Facebook messaging every person with the name of the last person that was riding him at the horse show and hmm. see if they knew what happened to him. And I came across one girl, I had sent her a message and I had sent so many messages. And I think at this point, you know, I was telling my husband, you know, I'm just like, oh, just, it's been two or three years since he last showed and he was a show horse and I don't know what would have happened to him. So I got a message from a girl uh, a couple months later, it was in October and she, the following October, and she had said that she actually still owned him, but he had become very, very sick. And had actually uh, lost one of his eyes to a very terrible infection. Wow. And that he, you know, had made a comeback, but that he really hadn't left the property. And they're sort of handling him with kid gloves, but he had made his way back to Massachusetts, where I'm from. And at the time, I was only working about 15, 20 minutes from where he was. Wow. When I had contacted this girl and the farm that I found to Matt, they couldn't have welcomed me in any more than they did. They were so lovely. It was here in Massachusetts. You know, of course it's this big, beautiful, he has 16 hands. He started off as a junior hunter. And that was my McClay horse. And you just, you sort of romanticize the horse that you had. And, and I mean, as animal lovers, you just want them to have the best life possible. And mm-hmm. I knew that these folks had taken great care of him and it was just a big illness that had happened. So I made my way over and it was raining. And of course it's October in Massachusetts and it's dark and dreary. And, mm-hmm. you know, I pulled up to the barn and he was, he was outside in a field and he was turned out and probably happy as could be, but they had changed the name that we had known him by. So I, you know, kind of rolled up and it's raining and there I am in my middle of my, you know, lunch break over mm-hmm. to see the horse. And I yelled out to him to a name that he hadn't known in maybe about seven or eight years. And he was sort of standing at the back and he, it was like, you know, something out of like, I, you know, of course I, I romanticize it, but he threw his ears up and he kind of looked over and I saw him and he saw me and he came trotting on Aww. over and he was like, Hey, is that really you? And I just started to cry. And, you know, that really, for me, was how I got back into the horse world. And the reason why this story is important is because my husband and I ended up working with the current owners and their daughter had graduated out of being a junior and they really weren't sure what to do with him. And they said, do you want to buy him back? Wow. And I said, sure. (laughs) Let Let me, let me, you know, put it past my husband. And my husband's like, oh, what are the expenses of a horse like? And I was like, well, <laughs> uh, at what level? You know? so, um, so we purchased him back, which was great. And, you know, one of the things that the owners of the farm said is like, you know, you've got to keep him really clean and really healthy when you want to take really good care of him because, you know, he's had this terrible infection that made him lose his right eye 
that we want to, you know, of course, make sure that we're keeping up with his health and maintenance and vet and all that kind of stuff. And of course we were, you know, we were right there with them. And one of the things that we decided was, you know, by the time I purchased him back, it was April and it was, you know, skin disease season. And mm-hmm. I purchased new brushes and I put my name on them in Sharpie and I go up to the barn the next day and I'm all excited. He's got his new brushes. And then someone had scratched my name out and put their name on. I was like, nah. huh? Yeah. And I was like, this happens at Barnes, you know, and it's just like people, you know, totally see something and it's in Sharpie and it's like, okay, well, you know, this horse, you know, we want to keep him really clean and happy. And so I'm obviously, I love plates. Everything of mine is plated. And I finally was like, you know what? No, I'm going to put, I'm going to screw some plates into a brush. And so I, I screwed some ugly plates that I had, you know, just engraved myself. And I was like, I'm just screw them in. And like, you know, they trust me, no one took them, but they were really ugly. And you know, one of my best friends is actually my trainer. She's like, I bet you can make those look a lot nicer. And I was like, uh-huh. I probably could. And so that's what started the personalized brushes for Wellesley Equestrian. And, you know, people at the barn were saying, you know, oh, this looks so nice. And oh, I, I don't want my horse getting skin disease either. And I want to keep my horse safe and sort of transformed into what is now Wellesley Equestrian. And the idea kind of came up with taking care of this horse that I just love so much. Wow. So that's how we sort of started off. That is that is a wild story. <laughs> yeah, it's a little wild. <laughs> yeah, I love it though. That's so cool. So now you have grown Wellesley Equestrian and you offer a bunch of products. You offer stuff for the horse, stuff for the rider, lots of different gifts and a lot of amazing like, personalized items. How did you get to the point where, you know, you're just doing some brushes and people were noticing and wanting brushes for themselves? How did you go from that point to a full-on business? Sure. So as you mentioned, we had the brushes at the barn and people were interested in them. And so it was actually one of my best friends, Leah Chafee. I will definitely give her credit where credit is due. She said to me, you know, you might want to, you might want to start like an Etsy shop. And I was talking to my mom about it and she's like, yeah, like try something on Etsy. So I threw up, you know, some of the painted brushes or stained brushes with the plates on Etsy. And they started selling so fast that I realized that wasn't going to be a big enough platform for us. You know, I think that anyone who is starting out their own business, of course, I'd ask friends to share it. And I was so lucky for my network and they were so supportive and, you know, they were sharing the idea and sharing the products and I think within the first, you know, really two to three months of starting our Instagram, we had over 5,000 followers, which was all organic, you know, and I think that people just seeing and sharing and it was, it's a really organic business, which we're really proud of, you know, so I decided, okay, well, from my business background, I do know HTML code. I do know marketing. I do know how to, I do know e-commerce from the full-time job that I had had. And I just decided I'm going to go put together a shop and I'm going to really optimize it myself. And so, you know, once I had the brushes online, I thought, you know, well, it would be really nice if you could show up to a show and, you know, more than just for each of your own horses, it really is a way to, you know, of course, all the big A shows, people are presenting themselves with the, you know, shiniest horses and you want mm-hmm. your setup to be beautiful. And so I had people that had asked me, oh, you know, do you offer other things that are matching sets? And so it really was my network that kind of helped me and encouraged me to say, you know, we should try adding new products. And, you know, once we found out that people loved gifting our products as, you know, 
as giftable items and the holidays and for birthdays. And they were like, do you have any other products I could add into special gifts? And I was like, sure. You know, so I partnered with a couple other great companies to have our, have our website. But, you know, I think, I think that the biggest part of this business was really being present and talking to folks and, you know, having other folks believe it. And along the way, there were plenty of folks that didn't, you know, there are folks that I reached out to that I thought would have supported me without a shadow of a doubt. And I think that was an interesting angle that maybe Mm -hmm. I didn't expect. Um, But there were, for every person that maybe was not interested in partnering with, there were 10 others that were saying, we believe in your mission and your vision to take best care of your animals and to have the best presentation possible. So, you know, it was really a wonderful network that helped us grow the business. And, you know, I will give a lot of credit to the kids that have wanted to be ambassadors of our brand and our company because we've now grown to almost 24,000 followers on Instagram. And that has been all organic, all organic kids just following and, you know, being really interested in what we have to offer for horses and riders alike. Okay, hold that thought because I would love to take a minute to talk to you about our sponsor today. Are you familiar with the Tack Hack? Think of it as a Nordstrom rack for equestrians. Shop thetackhack.com for your favorite premium tack and riding apparel brands at discounted prices. Interested in saddle consignment? The Tack Hack also offers a minimum of 70% commission on your premium jumping or dressage saddles, plus your saddle ships to them for free. And attention listeners, take advantage of this special podcast discount code. You can enjoy an additional 20% off your next purchase with code podcast. Limit is one time per customer. And sorry guys, that code excludes saddles. Head over to their website at thetackhack.com and take advantage of the deals. The Tack Hack, the sport you love for less. Thank you, Tack Hack. Okay, let's head back to the episode. Are you currently working on Wellesley Equestrian as your full-time job or are you doing something else as well? So I have two jobs. One is Wellesley Equestrian and then the other is another one that helps pay all the house bills. So I do have a full-time job in addition to running Wellesley Equestrian. So my full-time job does take me nine to five. And then I, you know, kind of either go ride with my friends. And then as my friends know, I then usually am working on Wellesley Equestrian from about seven to midnight. Um, And on days we're really, really busy, I get up at four and I work on the business from about four to eight. And then I would do the full-time job from nine to five. And then I go back to Wellesley Equestrian and (laughs) it's something I do on the weekends and, Mm -hmm. you know, traveling and trying to also show myself and, Right. You know, it's something that I think requires a lot of dedication and, you know, it's something that it's a business that we're really excited and proud of, but, you know, it's, it's still only in its third year. And, right. you know, my husband and I are really excited. We're hoping in the next two or three years to make the jump and make this, you know, my full-time job, which is my cool. dream um, because I believe in it so much, but, you know, as an adult and you have to pay the house bills and the mortgage and the car bills and the horse everything bills. else that comes along with it, you know, <laughs> my full the horse bills and everything else, you know, it's, it's been a, it's a great business. It's really, really grown. And I think, you know, if we can get it to a place in two years where, you know, we have, you know, steady income all year round, I think that would be great. You know, we see that Wellesley Equestrian, it sells a lot during the year, but it really peaks during the holiday season with kids, you know, hoping to get brushes or trunks as giftables during the holidays. So 
you know, that's one thing that's, it's wonderful. We prepare for it every year, making sure that we're able to get orders out and on time, but that's a little bit of a hard spike, you know, especially in the holiday season when you're trying to go to your own holiday parties and you're like, okay, I've got to leave early because I've got to make sure that, you know, all the tracking sketch sent out and I've got to, you know, do all those things. And about a year into the business, I actually um, got really, really sick. And so that was a little hard to try and, you know, battle my own health and then keep the business going and the full-time job, which they were very wonderful, but it was just a challenge trying when you're the only person that really is responsible for the business at the end of the day, being a little sick was a little challenging, but Mm -hmm. uh, all good now, flying colors, which is great, but uh, yeah, that was that probably was, the hardest speed bump. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I mean, I just seeing your growth and I mean, just hearing about your your normal daily schedule is amazing. I don't know how you are able to keep that up, but I think because Wellesley Equestrian is such a passion of yours, it becomes just second nature to you because it's something that you love and, and you see the vision of your full-time position. So a, a lot of drive is needed there, but the, I'm sure the passion is a big driving force for what keeps you going for sure. It's a huge driving force. And I think I call it an extension of myself is that, you know, I want, I want folks to, when they think of Wellesley Equestrian to have, you know, really positive energy and thoughts that go into this business. We've kind of poured our heart and soul out into, you know, um, my husband, he calls himself our CFO, which is very well earned Mm -hmm. title. And he works in private equity and he'll come home and he'll help me with all the finances and make sure that, you know, we're all set to do that stuff. So it's really a labor of love. And, you know, actually the best advice I have recently got, I was down in Wellington, Florida, and I was actually talking to Frank Madden and he said, you have to love it. You have to love it so much that the love for the what you do is always going to outpace any challenges that you see. He's like, because if you're not happy being up at four o'clock in the morning, making sure that emails get answered or, you know, making sure that orders get out the door, then you're not going to succeed. Right. It's never hit me so hard as to when, you know, he's like, I love getting up early and I love seeing the horses. He's like, but it's hard. And I said, it is hard. It's really, really hard. But mm-hmm. if you love it, it won't seem like work. On the hard days, you know, it does, but it, the love will always outpace, you know, the, the hard, the hard totally. days and the challenges. Totally. What advice would you have for someone who is in the equestrian world, either rides horses or did ride horses, has an idea of something, a product or a service that would be really needed in the industry? What advice would you give them from going from idea to creating a business? I think the biggest thing that I would advise is if you have an idea for a product, make it, test it, try it, make sure that if you're going to put, if you're going to say this is something that is great, make sure that you know the downfalls of the product. Make sure you know the spectrum because, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, a personalized brush is great, but if you throw it on the ground over and over and over and over it is likely going to scratch. (laughs) So, you know, when when you go out there, you know, make sure that you're authentic about, you know, this is a wonderful product. It's been tested and tried and you can go out there. And if you can have a group of people that support you and give you honest feedback, and you have to be really open to honest feedback because honest feedback is sometimes hard to swallow, but it's the greatest asset you can have. I have this group of friends they're called the Pony Pals and they are, they will look at a product and I have a friend that goes, it's not good enough. You need to, you know, you need to start thinking about pricing on this product or, you know, there, 
just so honest with me yeah. about the testing, the products that I think that's really been helping the authenticity of our business because we, I don't want to say to someone, this brush is great and it's never going to scratch and it's never going to dent and it's mm-hmm. never going to be dirty, right? You're <laughs> using it to clean a dirty horse. <laughs> so right. if that's, if that's your message and you're not authentic, then I think you're going to fail. And so if you're trying to start a business have a really good understanding of the full spectrum of the positive, the negatives, and really make sure that your network is honest with you. Because without that, you know, sugar coating is not going to help anyone grow. I think that there's this term of you have to go through the fire. So if you can right. ever, for, you know, if you run into a negative experience, it's actually a wonderful growth opportunity. Totally. Yeah. I think that's but, great advice. Let's go back a little bit to back to your riding. What does your own equestrian journey look like right now as you are juggling your nine to five and Wellesley equestrian? It's hard. I won't lie. It's really difficult. You know, I am actually very lucky if I get to ride two, three days a week, that would Mm -hmm. actually be a really good week. So my horse that has inspired Wellesley Equestrian, he only lives 10 minutes down the street from me in Wellesley, which is why it's called Wellesley Equestrian because we're, you know, from the Wellesley area and that's, you know, where we are home. And so he only lives 10 minutes away, you know, but right now he's only doing walk trot. And so, you know, he's, we've really moved him down to keep him healthy and fit. And so, you know, I don't necessarily ride him all the time. I actually have developed a wonderful partnership with a horse named Charleston Z. And he is a horse that was actually recently sold to a friend of mine and they let me partner with him. I've been riding him for about two and a half years. So I ride with two barns, the one down the street, which is Dana Hall, Candace King and Sarah Summers are mm-hmm. the trainers there along with Carly Carbaco and Jen Burke. I'm also part of the team with Carl Catani and Leah Chase for me. The only challenge is Riverwind is about an hour and a half away. So, you know, they've really helped me at the finals and Dana Hall has really been a core support of me riding through the week at other horse shows. So I'm able to ride at Dana with Candace and Jen and Carly. And then I try and get down to Riverwind once a week if I can on the weekends, which can be challenging considering the drive. So, you know, during final season, I'm lucky I can hack at Dana, you know, maybe in early mornings. Sometimes the barn opens really early for me, you know, at 6 a.m. And they let me ride as I'm trying to do Wellesley Equestrian in the morning before my nine to five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'll do a hack in the morning and then I'll lessen late at night and then Dana during the week. And then on the weekends, I will make the drive to Riverwind and I will lessen Riverwind and I will also hack any horses that are available, which, you know, it's, I've got two wonderful barns that are just really supportive, but it, it can be hard trying to find saddle time, especially when, you know, Riverwind is so far away. Totally. As an adult amateur rider, I know you have with with equitation finals around the corner. What's your kind of goal going into the fall? You know, this year has been really interesting with COVID. Um, I started out the year hoping to be down in Wellington for uh, the month of March and uh, week 10. Mm. You know, only been, it was my first day competing and we got the news that uh, the horse show was shutting down, which made sense. It was the right call. It was just a little hard at the time. Uh, yeah. Uh, having made the investment as an amateur who doesn't have a lot of time to go down to Wellington in March. And so the horses got shipped home. I think in in the early part of the year, I thought Ariat finals would be a wonderful goal of mine. I've had recently a lot of success in equitation up in the 
uh, the New England area. I've won the MHC, which is the Mass Adult Medal Finals. And then last year, I won the New England Equitation Championship Finals for the 28 to 45 group. So this year, you know, my eyes were really set on Ariat as well as the horse show in Kentucky. But I think with, you know, horse shows being shut down the early part of the year and just not really sure, you know, having the time to go out and really chase points at smaller horse shows with, you know, mm-hmm. the counts that have happened, if Ariat will be a goal of mine this year. But I am qualified for Kentucky. And I think that if I can get there and if I can do that final, I think that that would be. I think it'd be a lot of fun just because I love the Lexington area. My husband and I have been down there for vacation and mm-hmm. um, Wellesley Equestrian has sponsored pony finals. So we've been to the horse park. We love the horse park. In my last junior year, McClay finals and nationals were in Syracuse, New York. So I actually never have been able to ride in that arena. And oh, it would wow. be, it would be really wonderful to be able to go into that arena at that stage and, and to compete. I think a ribbon would be wonderful at the finals, but you know, what I've realized, you know, I turned 30 this year. So, you know, not on the upper end of the adult amateur spectrum, but on not in the 18 to 21 spectrum either is that, you know, I really just enjoy going with my friends and being on a wonderful horse and being supported by my family. And if I can go do something that I love and if I can step in that arena and walk away with great pictures, then I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so going to Kentucky would be pretty great, but if it doesn't happen, you know, I'll be happy to support my friends up here, up, up north. And uh, there is the New England alumni class this year. Cool. So anyone that's won the final in its history is able to compete. So that was something that nice. I may also do. We'll yeah, see. Very cool. And then from a business standpoint of finals, you have obviously sponsored finals in the past. You You just mentioned pony finals. What would be some advice that you could give to other brands who are looking to market themselves in, in a big way, like a finals, but don't really know kind of the steps to take to do that. So I think, you know, my advice, if you're starting out and you're looking to sponsor large events, finals, you know, a lot of horse shows start planning out their awards and their sponsorships a year to 18 months in advance. And so if you're interested in sponsoring, I would, you know, probably start, I would start small. I would, you know, start with a local final. I started with a couple of local finals up here in Massachusetts and, you know, really make sure that you can handle being able to provide banners if you need to, or the creative that needs to go into the sponsorship packets and that you can fulfill the orders that you have said that you would, you know, start small, but also don't expect that the year you are trying to sponsor for someone to have an open position. Actually, I know that sounds silly, mm-hmm. but it actually, you know, sometimes people will sponsor classes for 10, 15 years. And so, you know, that you might not be able to get the sponsor spot you want. So you right. might want to position it as what is available. Are you looking for sponsorship? What kind of commitments? Because there are a range of financial commitments that you can commit to. You can commit to sponsoring all of the products like we did for Pony Finals, or you can sponsor, you know, at New England Finals, we always make sure to sponsor free products in the live auction. Mm-hmm. And that's something we feel, you know, important because it goes towards the New England Equitation Championships. But if, as long as you're, you know, really thinking about the size, the scope, the financial commitment, and understanding that it's not always personal that they don't want your sponsorship. It's just that they may not have a position open for the financial commitment that you can make at that time. Totally. But to start with, but definitely feel free to, you know, start emailing because for every 
you know, for every five emails you send, only one may respond. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. Agreed. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. You have so much experience in so many areas of the industry. So I thank you and I wish you all the best. Thank you for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.